Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this show, share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating, pause this recording. Do so now. Give us a lavish, glowing review. My name is Kirk Haberman, and I'm a history teacher and church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how is life out on the prairie? Kirk, I'm great. As I texted you this morning, it's 10 below here, and (laughs) uh, on the way to school, my daughter, uh, sitting in her seat, uh, was messing with the dashboard, trying to turn the heat on, and I was like, are you cold? She's like, yeah. I said, well, why, why don't you put your jacket on? It's going to take a while for the car to warm up. It's 10 below. She's like, no, I don't want to put my jacket on. <laughs> you know, the goofiness of youth. We here in, in Sioux Falls uh, see all sorts of middle schoolers at, at bus stops uh, in shorts, T-shirts, yes. no jackets, uh, in below zero weather. And it's, it's just crazy to see. Regardless of temperature, yeah. Regardless of temperature. That happened between our childhood and then our children's childhood, right? The the, the shorts in the winter, didn't it? Did we wear shorts yeah, in the winter? I, I never wore shorts in the winter. I didn't. But uh, there's a former cross-country, college cross-country runner at our church who, it's funny, this past Sunday he wore shorts. Uh, <laughs> and people commented on it. But it's been funny because like he had been receiving a lot of comments about not wearing shorts because for years and years and years, we never saw him wear long pants. So we're like, dude, where, where are the shorts? It's winter. Why, why, are, why are you in long pants? And so he brought back the shorts. He's like, I can't win. I wear pants. People say, why aren't you wearing shorts? I wear shorts. And they're like, man, why are you wearing shorts? But yeah, they, it's a thing, Kirk. It's a thing. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that everything's great there um, because here in Pennsylvania, everything is awful. <laughs> we had our thaw and um so there's flooding and mm. our, our 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 yards are swamps friends have flooded basements um it's uh so there's this meme that's been going around uh, my friends the 12 seasons of pa <laughs> first season is winter the second season is fool's spring third season is second winter and then the spring of deception and then third winter so i think we're in the spring of deception right we're, we're due for at least one more like giant storm but we've had the thaw but it's not nice it's just 41 and mud and gray which is absolutely the worst so so yeah yeah it's it is right and fitting it is meat and right that lent is coming because as I told you, like with this is like perfect Lenten weather. It's like a like a six week weather hair shirt. So, Eric, before we clicked record, you mentioned that you are responsible for the Shrove Tuesday pancake feast. Mm-hmm. In fact, you referred to yourself as the Shrove Tuesday czar. <laughs> a poor, kind of, poor timing, poor timing internationally. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and poor language. We're Anglicans. We don't use. Russian words. Yes, uh, I, I am looking across the neighboring border and, and considering a peacekeeping incursion. But can we laugh? Are we allowed to laugh about that yet? Can we? Is it too soon? Okay, go on. Uh, Kirk, do you do you uh, live it up on Shrove Tuesday? I live it up on Shrove Tuesday. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so you'll, we could you'll, call how many how carb, like carb springum? Okay. <laughs> but it sounds like you're doing pancakes and sausages. How many yeah. sausages will you eat? Well, there is a like a, a, an actually revolting sausage contest contest 
that for yeah. several years now the boys in the parish have engaged in. So yeah. I don't do that. I don't do that. It's well, more like, like what 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 number are, like when you say revolting is are they like at a fifteen? Are yeah, a I think it's double, it's oh, double digits. Oh my gosh. double digits. That's, yeah, that's. Like, suddenly I like I've lost my appetite. We may see the meat sweats here on, on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it's it's not just the sausage. It's it's the it's the sausage and the butter and the syrup and the pancakes and the beer and like carbs bring them like. OK, there we Kurt, go. question. Yes. Answer. Do you do straight up pancakes and syrup and butter or do you do you get exotic and add fruit and 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 uh chocolate sauce or uh <laughs> you know uh, chocolate chips or whipped cream to we, the pancake we do take orders for chocolate chip pancakes for the savages amongst us um we also do take orders for blueberry pancakes for those of discerning taste like myself or they're just uh, straight pancakes for those yeah. who are who like that yeah. that's what we do yeah yeah no we don't have like syrups or i mean like like fruit toppings and 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 um like whipped cream don't have any of that so none of that okay yeah yep. i feel like when you go to ihop you have like multiple choices for syrups like there's a, a rack of like four syrups to bring blueberry and this and that. i'll say this in our defense traditionally what we've lacked in variety we've made up for in quality sure. so we actually buy real buttermilk and make mm. it with real buttermilk um like real real melted butter real eggs like butter instead of like vegetable oil you know what i mean sure. so it's like it's a real pancake man like a yeah, high quality yeah. authentic butter it's not just pancake. add water mix not right crusties or whatever yeah yeah biscuit heathen yeah. heathens yeah uh but i also know that you, you you're a crafty guy and and if you lack buttermilk that you are willing to make your own kirk how do you make your own buttermilk if you don't have buttermilk <laughs> okay this is this is hillbilly buttermilk well, I mean, the easiest way to curdle milk is to add vinegar in it. Like a tablespoon of vinegar per cup of milk will curdle it within an hour. That's not what I do when I make. Sure, 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 sure. But like on but a Saturday morning, that's how I curdle in milk. a pinch. Yeah, yeah, it works. You'll, you'll it does, do the vinegar it does and curdle milk. it. Okay. The okay. thing about actual buttermilk is it has like actual chunks because it's been curdling, man. It is curdled, curdled. So, yeah, and that's why that's why they're so fluffy and so delicious. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, do you, do you have a transition you want to, let, let me just screech to a halt. Well, Jesus and ask isn't you, fluffy and delicious, but he is radiant. He is. Kirk, this week's gospel text comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now, but eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my chosen. I'm sorry. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Kirk, this text of the transfiguration in years A, B, and C comes from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, respectively. Uh, we're in year C, so we get Luke's version of, of these events. And it comes in the Luke. last, yep, it's the year of Luke, and it comes in the last Sunday of Epiphany uh, for, for good reason. That this is, the, the word Epiphany means revealing or manifestation, that this is the final revealing of Christ's glory. Um, oftentimes we talk, speak of kind of narrowly of the three epiphanies of the epiphany to the nations on the epiphany, you know, to the wise men from the East on uh, the baptism of Christ. So this epiphany, uh, of Jesus being revealed as God's son and his, his beloved one. And then the third one is uh, the revealing at uh, the wedding at Cana. Uh, to this revealing to the disciples, but then here, this is a significant revealing of who Jesus is, even mm -hmm. if it's to a smaller audience to just Peter, James, and John. But uh, Luke doesn't use the term transfiguration. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Yes. Um, he talks about his, uh, his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Uh, and, and I mean, there's sometimes we read some, something into this, that, that um, the term transfiguration would have been a term used in that day, but mostly by pagan mystery cults. And perhaps he, he didn't want, maybe this term was a little bit laden with, with meaning uh, there. And he wanted to, to describe this as something else, as this glimpse of gl the glory of Jesus. Um, and uh, some of the great, uh, some of the church fathers and, and even the great reformers um, have things to say about this alteration, this transfiguration, this, this revealing of, of Christ's glory. Cyril of Alexandria um, talked about how this was a preview of Christ's eschatological return and majesty, that uh, <laughs> they saw the human Jesus every day, and, and this was just kind of a preview, just, just a glimpse of, of the glory of, of Christ's return, uh, which we get depicted in the book of Revelation and in First Thessalonians. Um, Paul writes about it. Uh, John of Damascus um, talks about the appearance of Jesus, how it's glowing. Mm. And, he, and he, he compares this to Moses coming down from Sinai. And, but, but there's an important difference is that Moses was reflecting the glory of God where Jesus' glory was his own, right? Right. Um, so, so there's an important difference there. And I'll come back to Moses um, and Elijah and, and even kind of the actions of Moses. But um, we, we move to the, to the reformers and, and hear John Calvin talk about this um, to quote him, he says, he gave them such a taste of his infinite glory as they were able to receive. Mm. And, you know, we, we kind of uh, see a significance in Jesus telling them not to t say anything to anybody about this, partly because like people were not able to receive this at this point, that, that they would have, Peter, James, and John would have been seen as madmen to talk about the alteration of Christ's appearance that only kind of in, in the right time. Could they speak of these things um, post-resurrection? Like once the, the 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 power of Jesus conquering the grave, um, suddenly you know him being uh, the 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 kind of glory of God being revealed in him would have made a little bit more sense. Um, Moses and Elijah appear here, so these represent two important things: the law and the prophets, which of course both of those things pointed to Jesus. And uh, we have this interesting uh, thing like that Luke is the only one here who talks about the content of the conversation that Jesus was having with Moses and Elijah. And in verse 31, it says, they spoke of his departure, which is a weird word here. Uh, some translations may use the word exodus. And um, of course, the word Exodus means like going out. Um, and, and we think of the Exodus of, of the Hebrew people um, leaving Egypt. That's but easy to let that um, Lucan distinctive slip by. I did not know that, but that is notable. So why, Christopher? I'm sure you're about to tell us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we think about um, Christ and, and um, his role as our Passover lamb, right? Mm -hmm. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And so uh, when, when we speak of the word, um, his departure, or exodus, or whatever, uh, the, the, we're not actually talking about leaving. 
Um, this is directly tied to the Exodus um, and not just a leaving from Egypt, but deliverance that it was deliverance through the slain body of the lamb and Christ is our Passover lamb. And so we're, we're seeing a, a, always we see a pointing back to the old Testament of, of how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Even as we look forward to what is to come, that Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. So, so frequently in the gospels, we look both forward to see how it's the, the, how Christ is the fulfillment of these things. And then we look forward to what is to come. And this is, this, this text is a perfect example of this looking back and looking forward and making sense of this, um, that Christ is this Passover lamb. And uh, one of the commentators I was reading pointed to uh, this uh, piece of art that I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, it's from a Jewish artist. Uh, and I think it's, just called Exodus, and the, the artist is Mark Chagall. Oh, and yeah. Are you familiar with this? Okay, I, am. I, I was not. Okay, I am. It's, yeah, you yeah. see Christ hanging on the cross, and you see below him um, the going out, the Exodus, the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. And of course, there's they are tied together. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you know, theologically insignificant, but in this in this particular painting that they uh, that that we see a, very, a huge significance in, in this. So um, it's, it's a beautiful depiction of, of uh, Christ being our deliverance um, by, by um, what he did, his shed blood on the cross. Yeah, I mean, the Orthodox and the Fathers um, uh, did probably a better job, not a better job, uh, but we're really into the connection between um, Exodus and, um, and the events of Holy Week. And, and part of that is just language, etymology, right? Like the, the Greek word for Easter is Pascha, right? Passover, right? And, um, and so like it's even talking about Easter, you're like calling it Passover, right? So um, the, 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 the tie-in is there even in, in the way well, you talk about but, it. I mean, yeah. it, is, it is no coincidence that at the Last Supper, they were celebrating Passover and Jesus yep. Yep. held yep. up the bread <laughs> and said, this is my body. Like he held up the, the Passover bread you know, bread, you know, it's, it's, um, very significant. Yeah. So Christopher, I, um, I find it notable that this happens in Luke nine, um, not Luke 15, mm. um, sure. not, not, not leading up to not, not just before his arrest, Luke nine, because this is the pivot point, right? This is the point at which, um, after this, he, as Luke says several times, and I'm not, I'm not, when I say this, I, I smile at this. I'm not laughing at it. But as Luke says a bunch, he set his face to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. right? So he comes down the mountain. This is the sort of the great epiphany, right? As you, as you, as you so, so, um, as you point as out I said, so well. You don't, you don't, yeah, you don't need, you don't need to qualify that. Yeah. St stam stammer for uh, adverbs. Yes. As you pointed out so well, um, and he's headed to Jerusalem now. So it's interesting, all the teaching that comes after this, right? Um, the good Samaritan, all the parables, right? Uh, the rich young ruler, all that stuff. It's all, it's all on the way to Jerusalem from what we traditionally believe is what, Mount Tabor? Not quite sure. In any case, right? Um, and so suddenly, um, it's all very compressed. So everything that we've been reading in Luke um, up to this point is, is, is very, we would, we would gather like, I, I guess I'll say this, the way that the emphasis and the amount of time that Luke spends recording Jesus' life and teaching, it is very heavy on, on the last couple of weeks of his life. And that's just interesting. I don't have any further observation other than that. Um, but he does say, so in verse nine, I, I have chapter nine open, and this is not in our reading today, um, but this is in verse 56, 55, 54, um, a Samaritan village rejects Jesus, right? And the people don't mm. receive him. And the reason they don't receive him is, quote, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Mm. <laughs> mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means, but that's really interesting, right? And, P, and James and John are like, Lord, should we, should we like burn, burn right. this village? Should we call down fire from heaven? <laughs> And he's right? like, no, isn't that, isn't that what they say? I don't yeah, have yeah, my yeah. Bible in front he's of like, me. Okay. No, no, not that. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to Jerusalem. I don't have time for this. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's in and and for that reason as well, Christopher, I think this is this is fitting that we have this on the last Sunday before Lent. Because 
we too, our faces should be set towards Jerusalem. Now we're going to back. Yeah, Kirk, a little because bit, that, right? that, that is laden with meaning. Like <laughs> Jerusalem meant um, suffering and death. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to it's, backtrack it's a little bit yeah. next week. We're, we're going to be, um, I mean, yes. the, the first Sunday of Lent, we're going to backtrack and go to the, uh, the temptation, yes. which of course is fitting because the 40 days and, and all of that, and that can, that can wait, that can wait, but, um, uh, it's, this is, this is right as well. There was one other thing I was going to say, let me, let me go back to the reading. Um, will it come to me? Yeah, if it's important, it'll come back. I'll, to me. I'll, I'll say something. Yeah. And, and, and while I'm talking, we'll see if, if this comes to you. Uh, I just realized I didn't know where to fit this in in my commentary, but as, as I looked at at this again just now, um, you know, we're given this this uh, tie here about eight days after these sayings. Um, anytime you see these things tied together, it's significant, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's there's a reason that Luke is saying this, and it's eight days after what, Kirk? You've got it in front of you. Uh, was it eight days after Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, these eight days to think like the early church, Kirk, these, these church fathers, um, who thought much more allegorically again, <laughs> I should say not merely allegorically. They, they don't say that these are, are mere allegories. They, they say, uh, that these are real events that happen, but you know, in like the five loaves and two fish, like that this represented the five books of, of, you know, the law and the old and new Testaments or whatever, like, like they saw, you know, significance in numbers. And, and of course, eight days represents uh, in, with inclusive counting uh, represents one week, um, which, uh, you know, points to, uh, you know, the, the, this completion of, of, right. of Christ and his, his resurrection. And so, that's a very Luke thing because, um, yeah. Yes, like, yes, that's how he refers to Easter on the eighth day, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the road to Emmaus, on the eighth day, right? The sense of um, something new, a new yes. week, a new creation. Yeah, almost this. Yeah, almost this eternal Sabbath. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, which which is a good way for us to just to think like that the resurrection is is just like this terror in <laughs> like um, our. Our, our age right yes um and, and there's this new thing that that has been ushered in through his resurrection yeah um let me also say this and and then i'll ask you if you have any final thoughts this was not what i was going to say but it just occurred to me right now in my world history class we have a unit um on uh, the three Abrahamic religions this is commonly mm. how it's taught in public yeah. school yep. lumping christianity judaism and islam together um, for understandable reasons. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and as kids ask kind of questions, um, I'm reminded all over again of the beautiful strangeness and improbability of much of the Christian narrative. And this is one of those things, right? Transfiguration, his face was altered and shown. Um, it is, it is, <laughs> it is, it is, it is just weird enough to be true, right? Like if you were making up a religion, um, <laughs> yeah. you would make up like peace, love. You'd make up something like the Jefferson Bible, right? Sure. Um, like the brotherhood of man. Like um, may we not, can we, can we all lay down our weapons? Can we, can we turn our prunes, our, our, our spears into plowshares, Plows, right? Yeah. Um, not this. <laughs> it's, this is almost weird enough to be true. And I'm reminded all over again of the strange, of the beautiful strangeness of our faith. And that to me is actually, it's, it, that, is a, that is a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Um, like if God actually existed and if God actually became a human, it would be very strange. And the people that were around it that saw it would have some really interesting stories to tell. Something like this. So. Well said, Kirk. Shall we move on to our theology segment? Yes. Let's do that.
For our theology segment today, we are talking about Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is this year, uh, Wednesday, March 2nd. Uh, Ash Wednesday is determined, it's a movable feast, and it's determined by the date of Easter. I mean, Easter is always, let me see if I can get this right, Christopher, <laughs> off the top of my head. It's the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox. Did I get that right? That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, um, Kirk, all I could tell you is that it's lunar. Like, <laughs> Yes. So then Ash Wednesday, Lent is 40 days, not including Sundays, um, because as, since the resurrection, all Sundays are, are little Easter's. Yes. And um, so all Sundays are feast days. So if you trace 40 days previous to um, Easter Sunday, uh, this year, April 17th, you get um, March 2nd. And that's the logic and rationale. So that's the when. Question is, what is Ash Wednesday? Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of our season of Lent. It's a time of penitence, fasting, and prayer in preparation for the great feast of the resurrection, Easter. Um, Lent, in the early days of the church, was a preparation for those who wanted to be baptized at the Easter vigil. And 40 is significant, Christopher. It's a great biblical number, right? It refers to our Lord's time of fasting in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. And as I said, since Sundays are never fast days, Ash Wednesday is when we begin our Lenten fast. So um, Ash Wednesday, uh, I, I would say this about Ash Wednesday. The point of Ash Wednesday is to spend an entire day wallowing in our mortality <laughs> maybe not wallowing being honest about our mortality right and i say this constantly this is kind of a i beat my spoon on my high chair in this regard we christians are realists which means we look in the mirror and we see a cadaver um if we're honest right um, and that's why we receive ashes. Ashes represent, well, <laughs> ashes. If we go back to Genesis 3, um, we, uh, in Genesis 3, we, we actually receive a, a, um, a heart-rending account of why we have been separated from our creator. Um, Adam and Eve, the first humans, when they were created, they walked in the cool of the garden in the evening um, with God. Um, but after, uh, after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, after they, they, they broke that particular commandment, they were instinctively furtive and hid, right? God says, where are you? Um, and, and, and ultimately, their, their confession is forthcoming. Um, and, and they have curses, right? So there's a curse for man, curse for the serpent, curse for the woman. And then um, the last, uh, the, at the end of Genesis 3, we read this. Um, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. This is the cursed Adam till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Um, on Ash Wednesday, we acknowledge that mortality is our just desserts. Um, as sons of Adam and as daughters of Eve, um, it is our, it is our, our right will reward. Um, and, uh, and, and why? Well, uh, Christopher, we don't, we don't often talk about our articles, do we? Um, but our articles address this head-on, and I think address this well. So I'm going to briefly read, Christopher. I'm going to read Article 9 from the 39 articles. It's, it, it says, of original sin or birth sin. It's in, it's in lovely Elizabethan English. Um, original sin standeth not in the following of Adam, it is the fault and corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam. And that's, of course, you and me. That's all of us, right? Whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to do evil, so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit. And therefore, in every person born into this world, it deserveth God's wrath and damnation. And this infection of nature doth remain, yea, in them that are regenerated. That is even baptized Christians, right? Um, and, and, and it goes on a little bit. Um, uh, and, there is no, and although there is no condemnation for them that believe and are baptized, 
Yet the apostle doth confess the concupiscence and lust hath of itself the nature of sin, meaning even for the believing Christian who is baptized and confesses of his sin and participates in the sacraments of the church and believes on Christ for his eternal salvation, um, even, um, even the inclination and the nature of sin does remain in us. We are sons of Adams and daughters of Eve, and so we will one day die. And we even get that literally rubbed in our face on Ash Wednesday. So um, that is Ash Wednesday, kind of in a nutshell, Christopher. Thoughts? Thoughts, yeah. Uh, you mentioned when we look in the mirror, we see a cadaver. And I think that's a really good point. Uh, there is so much language in the New Testament about the old and the new. Mm, put off yes. the old, put on the new. Um, sometimes we talk about let it in terms of eleven. You know, um, you know, in in First Corinthians five, um, even that that um, when I said Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us, he talks about putting off the old leaven and put. Uh, put I should look it up. Um, so I I get it right. Um. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is what I'm thinking of. Okay. Uh, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so that's Paul in 1 Corinthians. and Romans, he, he talks about being dead in sin and alive in Christ. Um, and that's the reality. That's, that is the imagery of baptism of being plunged beneath the water represents death and it represents unity with Christ in his death and resurrection. And when we are pulled out of the waters of baptism, um, that re represents resurrection that, uh, and, and we have uh, language in Galatians of the old man and the new man, sometimes translated the old Adam and the new Adam. Um, this, this idea of old and new, of dead and alive, is, is something that we see throughout um, Scripture. And that, that is what we remember. We, we remember uh, the mortality apart from the work of Christ. So it's not that we don't, it's not that we pretend like Christ didn't act, but it's, it's, uh, we are reminded of our sin, which necessitates Christ's work on our behalf. And so in that way, um, just as the cr same crowds hailed Jesus and his arrival in Jerusalem on Ash, I'm, I'm sorry, on Palm Sunday, yes, those same crowds, um, uh, just less than a week later, uh, crying, cried, crucify him, right? Yeah. And so these palms that we use and we wave on Palm Sunday are kept and burned and rubbed in our foreheads as we, mm -hmm. as the, as the priest says uh, to us, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Yeah. One of my favorite sermons of, of all time is a sermon that John Donne uh, gave um, in Lent. And uh, John Donne is most famous as a poet, but he was also dean of St. Paul's Cathedral and kind of a, 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 a powerful convert to the faith later in life after kind of being a, a man about town um, early on in his life. Um, and and he, uh, he, he began this sermon with this line, Christopher, he that will die with Christ upon Good Friday must hear his own bell toll all Lent. And what a, what a better way of like hearing your own bell toll than, than having those ashes put upon you. Um, he, he, he said, we must be in his grave before we come to his resurrection. And we must be in his death, deathbed before we come to his grave. We must do as he did, fast and pray, before we can say as he did, that into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. And Christopher, the opening of our, uh, of our Book of Common Prayer service for Ash Wednesday, really, I think, simply and eloquently invites everyone into kind of holy living for Lent. Um, this is on page 544 in the Book of Common Prayer. Christopher, you, uh, the officiant gives people kind of a, two paragraphs, like a brief kind of exhortation to a holy event, right? Um, in this manner, the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and of the need that all Christians continually have to renew our repentance and faith. 
And then the officiant says, and I imagine you will be saying this in a week, Christopher, I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and by the reading and meditation on God's holy word. And I think we've, we've talked here before about um, if we're serious about um, spiritual warfare during Lent, um, we are given weapons. We are not left helpless, right? Um, we, uh, fasting is our war against the flesh. Prayer is our war against the devil. Um, and uh, and, and uh, sin, the flesh. Now, prayers are war against sin, sin, the flesh, and the devil. Fasting, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. I always mess this up. And almsgiving is our, almsgiving is our weapon against the flesh, right? So like oh, we yeah. want stuff. Yes. We want stuff. Right. You know how to go, go to war against your flesh to want stuff? <laughs> Give it away. Give right? it away, yeah. <laughs> that show, that, that's a dem <laughs> demonstration that, that we are not attached. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So any further thoughts, Christopher, on, uh, on, on, well, actually, we should, we should, by the time you and I uh, talk again, it'll, it'll be Lent. Do you want to expand it a little and, and talk a little bit, bit about Lent or? Should we have a uh, brief, should, should we have like a minute here of just shouting hallelujah just to get it out of our system? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Hey, tell us about that. Why? Yeah. So this Sunday, uh, we will put away the hallelujah and yes. we will, um, so even though Sundays are, are little resurrection days, um, there is still uh, it, the, the theme of Lent continues, this um, penitential season. And so we put away this highest praise to God so that we can take it back out joyfully because uh, th these 40 days are, are, are many things, but they are primarily preparation for Easter. And so part of that preparation is, is to... Um, prepare to feast. Um, so we fast before we feast, and we also fast. We don't say the word hallelujah. And on, on Easter Sunday, we say it many, many times and throughout yes. that season. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. And so we're, we're going to put that away for, for a season. And um, I, I think uh, it, that may sound silly for people who haven't done it before, but for people who have done it year after year after year, it becomes a very significant um, thing that you almost some, maybe need to live through and, and participate in to, to really appreciate we have a, um, a, a, a smart and interesting college professor in our parish who is a recent convert to Anglicanism and, and is still maybe a little bit in his cage phase because mm. this is one of his favorite things, mm. favorite mm. things. He will, like to anybody, like within six feet radius, he will start telling them about um, how, how like how stark it is with the Alleluia gone yeah. and then how he tears up when it comes back. Um, he, he loves, loves to talk about that. Um, and it does. And there, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah. So we, we sing a lot of what we're going to sing on Sunday is it's just going to be really Alleluia heavy. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to, we're going to kind of be, be very full of it, <laughs> very full on our Alleluia's um, to highlight its absence all the more yeah. over these next six yeah. weeks. Um, the Gloria will go away as well. No Gloria, um, no Alleluia's, and then the absence is noted, and then and then its return, of course, is is is, is joyful and tearful. Um, as as, as many things um, aesthetically change during Lent, um, the, the the cross is typically shrouded. Mm -hmm. um, flowers uh, are removed from the altar, and and the altar is is uh, if if it's adorned with with uh it, it would be adorned with like sticks you know kind of kind of this this stark bare uh phase of of uh that, that shows uh i don't know death instead of life um mm -hmm. you know yeah uh so so you see it throughout um throughout worship uh and throughout just the the aesthetic of worship and i'll of tell course, you a contrast the color kirk do. is purple yes and do you have something to say about purple kirk Oh, no, I was going to say, in okay. addition to kind of the altar being more stark, um, we remove um, the, the, the table. So in, in, in almost all churches, I think uh, most clergy celebrate behind a table and face the congregation. I mean, then there's like an older, more innate altar behind that. Um, well, we remove the table 
and um, our priests and deacons um, face the altar during the prayers and Holy Communion. And um, that too is a, is a, is a starkness. Um, we got one, one last piece of furniture up there, but it's also, there's a sense of pleading, right? Moses pleading on behalf of Israel, sure. like, Lord, forgive them their sins. Um, and that, that visually is affecting as well. But I apologize. I was interrupting you. You were talking about the visuals. Purple. Why purple? Well, Kirk, Kirk you've, you love to talk about the colors. You tell us about <laughs> purple. Well, I'm, I'm also colorblind. Um, uh, pur- purple is the color of royalty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we celebrate, uh, we, we mark uh, Jesus in, 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 is it because we mark Jesus in this Holy Week? Um, is, is, is robed in purple by the, robe, by the Praetorium Guard? Um, or is that is that overthinking it? I, I also think there might be some more accidental historical reasons why. Sure, um, sure. But, but anyhow, purple does, has yeah. become has evolved into I, th- I think that as well. It's a it's a noble royal culture, um, noble royal. But color. but there but there's also a penitential mm-hmm. um, aspect of, of of purple as well, mm-hmm. which uh, off the top of my head I I couldn't actually weigh in on. Is it is it that there's a, a yeah I'm not going to say it because I don't want to sound stupid, <laughs> so I won't. Um, oftentimes, uh, the Decalogue returns. Sure. Um, yeah. Yep. So instead of the Gloria, we get the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. A, a reminder that we are we are in in real need of repentance. Um, and in in our in our prayer book, Christopher, after each um, of the Ten Commandments is read, we say, "Incline our hearts to keep this law." Yeah. Uh, which is a, I think, a, a right and fitting um, prayer after each commandment yeah um uh also lent um fasting for lent um as we'll read during palm sunday um your fasting is between you and your savior um so um make it make it sting and then don't brag about it stinging and when you fail bring it to god (laughs) um it's it's okay to have a i think a fasting support group or people you fast with that really helps or, um, or um, encouragement, uh, and and uh, almsgiving is tied to that. So yes. you know, as 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 we, um, the things that we fast from typically will cost money, and so we will have extra money, or or just like <clears throat> as we are fasting, we give extra too, mm-hmm. and 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 again, give in secret. Um, yep. But that, that doesn't mean that you can't um, have people like a group of people. Um, together who are encouraging one another to give towards a particular cause. Like that could be a good thing, but, yeah. but um, you know, our, our readings on Ash Wednesday are from, um, from yeah. Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, where uh, it talks about fasting uh, of, of in fact, covering up that you are yeah. fasting to like put makeup on. So people don't see your hollow cheeks and stuff, you know, um, yeah. to, to, to your father in heaven, do, do it in secret. And he who sees it all will see it. Um, yeah, I so think just, so. Don't some, forget that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some. Many of us have Protestant antibodies that we worry that, like, fasting is, um, something that's vaguely Catholic or something that the Pope invented. Yeah, a while or, or back. works righteousness. <laughs> or, is or yes, weird. that is something yeah, you yeah. offer up for your salvation, and it, that is just not it at all. It's getting serious about our sinful desires that we love our bellies more than God <laughs> and, and our <laughs> or we love our smartphone more than God or Facebook more than God or whatever it is. Right. And it's, so it, it's, it gives us an opportunity to really um, when we set aside um, certain things for a period of our life to note that um, to note our craving for them. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And, 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 and our frailty like, and our frailty, yeah. our helplessness. Like <laughs> we hunger for this thing for food, which is good and nourishing. And that reminds us of our need for Christ yes. and everything that he provides for us. And apart from him, like we are, we are mere mortals who will die and become dust. We hunger, we thirst, uh, and, and, and we need Jesus. Um, and so any, anything that we fast for is when, when we feel that pang, whether it's a pang for like, I need to open my smartphone to get the, the dopamine hit that, uh, mm-hmm. that that provides, or whether it's, um, some sort of food or whether it's a meal of a whole meal, it reminds us of our frailty and our need for Jesus. Absolutely. So I have in front of me um, the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, 
And uh, I, I'm open to the page that says a table of the vigils, fasts, and days of abstinence to be observed in the year. So lest we think that um, this is a, a sort of a Catholic innovation, this is part of our heritage that, that, that I, I think a lot of young Anglicans are, are really excited about resuscitating. Um, but it, it had, I think, to be fair, in, in a lot of Protestantism, it, it had fallen into disrepair. Um, the evening or vigil before the nativity of our Lord. Christmas Eve! How many of us would be ready to fast on Christmas Eve, right? Um, the purification of the Blessed Virgin, the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin, Easter Day, Ascension Day, Pentecost, and then all the apostles, St. Matthias, St. John the Baptist, St. Peter, etc. Um, note that if any of these feast days fall upon a Monday, then the vigil or the fast day shall be kept upon the Saturday, not the Sunday next before it. As you and I talked about, all Sundays are feast days, right? Um, days of fasting or abstinence, the 40 days of Lent, the ember days at the four seasons, um, the three rogation days, uh, Wednesday before Holy Thursday, and all Fridays in the year except Christmas Day. All Fridays in yeah. the year. Yeah. Right. So let's, um, let's start at least with Lent. <laughs> let's start with Lent. That's a good start because our forefathers <laughs> in the faith, they did a lot of fasting, man. <laughs> so... It's a good place to start. And by fast, we mean skip a meal and um, be, be, be austere in your other meals. Or you can have specific fasts, right? Social media fasts, I think, are very healthy for us. You, Christopher, you mentioned the dopamine hit. Like that craving is real, I think, in most of us. And it, it would be good for a lot of us to, to do that. Um, many people do sugar or caffeine or alcohol. I think all that's good because you'll feel the absence of all those things. So, yeah. Do you have any other Lenten, Lenten exhortation, thoughts, reflections, please? Exhortations? I mean, that reminds me that we do the exhortation. I love the exhortation. Um, yeah. And, and it's, 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 if we did it every Sunday, it would be too much. Um, but we, uh, we do that the first Sunday of Advent, first Sunday of Lent. And, and I think, does it say to try to do it quarterly? Um, it I, I don't may. know off the top of my head. But, but it's, it's, it comes straight from... Um, St. Paul's uh, letter to uh, fir first letter to the Corinthians um, of, of uh, examining ourselves be before we come to Holy Communion. And it's great that built into our liturgy, Kirk, is, is an acknowledgement of our unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, um, yeah, we're always unworthy to come forward, but um, it's, it's, it's a call to examine ourselves, uh, to diligently examine ourselves before we presume to eat of that bread drink of that cup for the benefit is great so also the danger is great mm. and so that's on page 147 and 148 um yeah we we just we just um ramp up the uh penitence kirk um and i don't mean i don't say that you know jokingly um yeah it's truly a season to really hold up a mirror um to ourselves um to look at our lives to examine ourselves uh and that begins kirk just as people in the 12 step programs with, with just mm. true self-examination of not lying to yourself, of just coming forward to say, I, I am in need of saving. Hi, I am my name sinner. is Kirk yeah. and I'm a sinner. Yeah. And I'm going to die. Yeah. 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 So we close in prayer. Let's the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Oh God, before the passion of your only begotten son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. You forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. See you next week, Kirk. Next week.